hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special repeat guest, Scott Malinsky, the host of Carnivore Cast on my podcast, and we dive into all things carnivore. I don't know why I said it like that, carnivore. Anyways, we dive into the basic evolution of carnivore. I feel like, you know, he's been carnivore for several years now. He started his podcast two years ago. Carnivore has definitely gained some momentum, some traction. It's been a huge hyped up diet trend as of late, and I feel like it's undergone quite the transition from where it was when it started to where it is now. So we dive into that transition, that progression, and we also talk about everything that is to come. We talk about carnivore, obviously, but we talk about the importance of nutrient density, kind of carnivore 1.0 to carnivore 4.0, as he put it. We talked about all kinds of things. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I feel confident you will as well. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And Scott, we're live. How are you, man? Great. Thanks for having me, Robert. Super excited to be here. I am happy to have you, brother. I'm happy to have you. So I kind of want to dive into the evolution of carnivore, so to speak, because I had you on <laughs> the podcast, I don't know, it's probably been over a year now, I would imagine. Um, but we talked about, you know, carnivore then, because you had just started the podcast, your podcast, not too long before that, if I recall correctly. But I feel like you're, you've got a really good pulse on carnivore because, I mean, you're bringing guests on, you're in the space yourself. So I'd love to kind of just hear a little bit about what you view as the evolution of carnivore and kind of how it's changing, how it's, and what direction it's heading, I guess. Yeah, yeah, great, great question, Robert, and, and thanks for having me back on. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a uh, expert or complete authority on carnivore, um, but it has been really great being um, immersed in this community as through the podcast um, over the last couple of years. I started the podcast two years ago um, and have had over a hundred guests now. Um, including today, I just had Sean Baker for the third time. Nice, nice. Um, so it's, it's, it's been really fun. Um, you know, carnivore in, in my mind, it's been really interesting to see it evolve, um, kind of in parallel and lagging behind keto, mm -hmm. uh, up until, you know, two or three years ago, I, I started the carnivore diet in fall of 2016. Carnivore was very much not in the mainstream. There were large groups like the zeroing in on health Facebook group of folks practicing carnivore, um, such as Kelly Hogan and Charles Washington and Amber O'Hearn, um, Lisa Wiedemann, um, folks who had been carnivore for some of them decades, um, and the Anderson family. Uh, but it really wasn't, um, you know, all over podcasts and all over, you know, Joe Rogan with people like Sean Baker and, and, uh, Michaela and Jordan Peterson, um, and such, uh, promoting a carnivore diet or talking about a carnivore diet. So it's really a niche thing. Um, but a lot of people were having success on it in these kind of hidden groups. And I found the carnivore diet through a podcast with Amber O'Hearn on the Two Keto Dudes mm -hmm. podcast uh, back in the fall of 2016. And also through this guy, Ash Simmons, um, who wrote a book called Principia Ketogenica, I think. Hmm. Um, he's a computer engineer based out of Australia or New Zealand. He's uh, at Carnivore's Creed on Twitter and very, very smart guy. Um, he runs the High Stakes website and he writes very informed scientific content about ketogenic and carnivore diets. But anyway, um, so I had heard Amber talking about how, um, you know, uh, plants 
were not only probably not necessary, but also potentially harmful to our health mm-hmm. um, back then. And I was already eating a protein heavy ketogenic diet where I wasn't really tracking my macros at all, wasn't paying attention to fat and protein ratios, was eating few servings of veggies a day, but really just trying to focus on the meat and, and fat aspects of carnivore or keto, excuse me, and enjoying that. And I thought, hey, I'll give this a shot. Why not? And it was about the same time that Sean Baker started running his first carnivore experiment, his first 30 days. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of things very wrong um, just because there wasn't the mass proliferation of information and great guides out there like there is today. Um, you know, great books like Sean's and Paul Saladino's, et cetera, um, as, as well as a lot of the, you know, the, the YouTube and podcast content. Um, so I made a lot of mistakes, but I still improved my health in a lot of ways. You know, I improved my energy, my cognition, my body composition, uh, my performance in the gym all improved, even though I was doing carnivore in a lot of ways, very wrong. Um, and so that, that, that's interesting. And then, you know, coming out, uh, I think it was a year later that Sean Baker was on Joe Rogan. That's when it kind of exploded, um, there. And then there was world carnivore month and kind of all just compounded on itself with, um, a lot of this carnivore movement picking up. And what I've seen is, um, you know, first of all, I think a lot of people have been helped by a carnivore diet, which is fantastic. Totally. They've gotten healthier, you know, relieved autoimmune symptoms, lost a lot of weight, etc. So I think that's great. At the same time, I've seen people become more and more in in some ways divisive and elitist about carnivore diet. And the same thing happened kind of with the keto movement. I'm sure you can Mm -hmm. attest, which is, you know, 99% of people in this country would fix their health dramatically just by eliminating seed oils, refined carbohydrates and sugars, and eating more animal products. 100%. And when you tell people that they have to eat grass-fed, grass-finished, organic pasture-raised beef only, and they have to eat most of their meat raw or cook it a certain way, they have to eat organs with every meal in this perfect ratio, um, it just becomes really inaccessible to a lot of people. And there creates this in-group, out-group kind of fighting um, where I, I... which I think is harmful and can prevent a lot of people from getting healthy. Don't get me wrong. I love to geek out on that stuff. And I think the, you know, scientific mindset and trying to seek optimal is always great, but we shouldn't stop the common person. You know, my parents, your relatives, the person you meet on the street, the, the random cashier at a, at a Walmart from trying a carnivore or ketogenic diet just because they aren't doing it perfectly the way that some expert prescribes. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing now, but I, I see a lot of people doing great work like, like Sean Baker, um, trying to push, you know, a really democratized version of carnivore, which is keep it simple, you know, eat meat, mostly meat until you're healthy. Mark Bell is also pushing this message. Um, and, and, you know, you don't have to be perfect, um, do what works for you. And, and I'm really trying to, um, trying to, uh, promote that as well. Totally, man. I feel like it's a classic example of like 80, 20, you know, if you're, if, if 80% of, I always mess it up. I'm trying to describe 80, 20, but basically, you know, you know, the concept, like a very small amount of effort yields the the vast majority of your progress. And I feel like if people just clean up their nutrition, take out the highly processed foods and eat predominantly, you know, high nutrient dense animal based foods, that's going to yield the greatest percentage progress in their longevity and the ability to get healthy overall 
and I feel like we're we're missing that 80% and we're just fixating on that 20% and that's what's causing a lot of tension and just frustration and just ignorance quite frankly um you had mentioned in the beginning that you were doing carnivore wrong what is the wrong way to do carnivore I didn't know there was such a thing yeah yeah absolutely um great question so I was eating, um, and, and I find a lot of people do this starting out, I was eating a lot of liquid fats. Mm-hmm. Um, so rendered fat from, you know, I would just go to the store and buy ultra large packets of discount ground beef and I would cook it in a skillet and I would drain all the fat out and let that fat solidify and then eat it later. Mm. Um, it's okay to have some of that, to have some tallow or butter to cook your eggs in or whatever, but you shouldn't be eating massive amounts of it. Our body really can't digest rendered fats as well as um, solid fats, like the fat on your steak or mm-hmm. um, eating something like raw beef suet. Um, and so that was giving me a lot of digestive distress, a lot of bloating and gas, even in the middle of the night, far away from my meal times. Um, for some people, it causes the opposite effect. It can cause constipation. It can cause diarrhea. So you really have to be careful with the rendered fats. I was also drinking a lot of water around my meal times and salting the hell out of my food. Mm-hmm. Now, I think electrolytes are important and you should salt your food, but it's possible to overdo it. You know, a lot of people advocate eight to 12 grams of sodium um, per day, depending on your activity levels. That's different than eight to 12 grams of salt. And I was eating over 40 grams of sodium per day easily and drinking, drinking like eight to 12 liters of water. Um, So I was just in this vicious cycle of way too much sodium, way too much liquid, which um, my kidneys are very healthy and I'm young. So, so it wasn't a problem, but it basically makes your kidneys have to work overtime and you're like peeing all the time and throughout the night. So that wasn't great. That was another thing I was doing wrong. And then um, I was a big fan of fasting and intermittent fasting long before I ever found carnivore or keto. So I was continuing to do that, but with these huge meat heavy meals. So I was eating like a pound to a pound and a half of beef for lunch at noon when I would break my fast and then maybe a pound and a half to two pounds at dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I heard somewhere, uh, you know, just in general, protein and fat, when you mix it together, it digests very slowly. It's right. so one of the benefits of the carnivore diet, why people don't need to snack, why you know people can go long times without eating. A lot of people do OMAD, one meal a day. Um, also why you know your blood sugar doesn't spike as much. There's a lot of good reasons that... Uh, they're helpful that meat digests slowly, but also it disturbs your sleep. If you're, uh, you can't get into deep sleep if a lot of your blood is, is working on digesting food and actually prevents you from getting into the deeper stages of sleep. So even though I felt like I was sleeping like a baby and people say, oh yeah, you have a huge meal and then you're just tired and you kind of lie down and you have a great rest, you're actually getting really poor quality sleep. So I, I read somewhere that this is a good heuristic for every 10 grams of animal protein you eat it takes roughly an hour for your body to digest that. So if you're eating, you know, like I was probably 150, maybe 200 grams of protein two hours before bed, um, you know, I was just tanking my sleep and then I would wake up in the morning be tired, more energetic because I was on a carnivore diet than before, but still tired. And I would drink coffee, um, which just adds to the cortisol response and isn't great for your circadian rhythm. And then I would wait and wait and wait and fast and kind of get jittery. And I was working a high stress job. So my cortisol was probably through the roof. And then I would have my big meal at noon. So I, I, I gradually shifted over to having 
a much bigger meal earlier in the day, which I think is better for your circadian rhythm and circadian entrainment, and then slowly tapering off my food and cutting it off a few hours before bed, which has helped my sleep a lot. So those are just a, f- a couple of the main things um, that I think I was doing really poorly. And uh, I think people give better advice on those more, like don't eat only ground beef, have some steaks, um, you know, don't don't drink fat basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned over time and um, it's it's improved a lot. So with you doing the the larger meal earlier in the day, like the are you doing like a like that's where the vast majority of your calories you have one big meal and you're just kind of titrating that back as the day goes on with less protein going forward, I'm assuming? Yeah, usually I have very large breakfasts cup like an hour after waking up, um, a moderate sized lunch, um, you know, usually after working out. And then a very small dinner at like five or six p.m. Well before bed. And what, what do you train before you have that large meal or after? I train uh, after breakfast, before lunch. How long so after breakfast? Two or three hours after breakfast, and then um, you know I'll, I'll pretty much eat thirty minutes to an hour. Eat lunch thirty minutes to an hour after I finish working out. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you have any dip in energy after that large initial meal? No, I feel great. Um, you know, I usually go on a walk right after to help myself digest. Um, but no, no, no dip in energy. Um, I think a lot of times people say they get this huge energy from fasting and they don't want to eat because then their energy will dip um, when really they're mistaking energy for cortisol mm-hmm. and stress. So it's actually a really negative response. I think fasting can be good and can give you energy and mental clarity. Don't get me wrong. I think those are good things. But a lot of times when people are restricting calories, working out a ton, pumping the caffeine, sleep deprived. What they think is this energy they're getting from fasting is really like a hyper cortisol state. 100% agree, man. I, I feel like fasting is great. I just did an extended five and a half day fast, but I think it is, I think it's, it's got to be spoken about in context. Like I feel like way too many people are trying to overuse fasting because there are definite, you know, noticeable changes that you can experience in a pretty short period of time. Like you notice a pretty immediate drop in weight because you flush water. You notice a increased energy because your cortisol is heightened. There's a lot of beneficial things that you notice right off the bat, but it's not necessarily the best strategy to cure the underlying foundational problems. Yeah, completely agree. What about the... um uh, with regard to that massive bolus of protein, do you have any concern about your body being able to assimilate that much protein in a given meal or do you let that concern you at all? Yeah. I I mean, I go back and forth on this. So I'm having three meals a day. So even if my body can't, uh, do you mean in terms of like making sure that I'm spiking muscle protein synthesis or not, or like being worried about excess protein doing something harmful? Uh, I'm not really worried about excess protein. I feel like a lot of people overconcern themselves with that as well. More yeah. so like the anabolic window. Like, if, is your body going to be able to? Well, if you're eating three meals a day, honestly, you should be good. You're kind of covering all your yeah. bases there. Yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. Even if you know I'm I'm going over the quote, you know, twenty to forty grams, whatever it is, um, that would be optimal for spiking muscle protein synthesis. I'm still getting three spikes yeah. throughout the day, so I'm still doing pretty well. What about your like? percentage or ratio of, of fat to protein. Do you play around with that very much? Yeah, I have played with it. Um, I think, so I think in general, everyone should experiment. 
with mm-hmm. this. That's what the conclusion I've come to after a lot of debate and uh, back and forth uh, with folks like Paul Saladino and Ted Naiman and just like following the space for a while and seeing folks like you who are very successful on different ends of the spectrum. Um, but I think people need to try it for themselves. I feel a little bit better and more energetic and more alert. Um, and even my workouts are slightly better, like maybe 5% better on a higher fat ratio. Mm-hmm. But like, first of all, it's really hard for me to do the really higher fat ratio on carnivore because there's so much protein in meat. And if you, even if like to, to get to like an 80% fat ratio on carnivore, you really have to push it because, mm-hmm. and I think you were talking to Sean Baker about this, like even like a T-bone steak or a strip steak, something people think of as pretty fatty. When you grill that and actually put it on your plate, it's like one gram of fat per three grams of protein. Yeah. Um, so like you really, and, and to get 80% fat, you have to be closer to two grams of fat per one gram of protein. Mm-hmm. So you really have to like have the fattiest possible steaks. You usually have to be eating like beef suet on, on the side, like raw beef suet, something like that. I've seen, that's how Paul Saladino does it. He eats like a lot of egg yolks. Um, so it's really hard, first of all, from a practical perspective. You know, most people would rather sit down to just like, a plate of, of steaks that are grilled and delicious then have to eat like only the fattiest cuts and like a ton of raw beef suet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other problem I have is I feel great doing that for like two or three weeks. And then all of a sudden I start having those same gut problems that I had when I started carnivore where in the middle of the night, way removed from my meals, like on my last meal at 5 PM and it'll be a tiny lean meal at like three o'clock in the morning, I'll wake up with extremely bloated stomach and like chronic burping. Um, and then it'll like be like that for the next few nights. Um, and it'll only happen after two to three weeks of doing the higher fat version of carnivore. Um, but I find when I stick to just eating like normal fatty ish steaks, like T bones, um, even some ribeyes, strip steaks, but grilled and not adding a ton of fat to them, maybe having some eggs, whole eggs. Um, I do better longer term, um, and feel good. So I'm usually probably consuming tracked it sometimes like 125 to 175, maybe 185 grams of fat a day mm-hmm. and easily 350 grams of protein. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you think the, uh, the gut rot and like the GI distress after doing a higher fat ratio is because of just the type of fat specifically? Like if you were to replace that with a different, maybe even a non-animal based fat, do you feel like it's the fat percentage so much so, or is it like the actual type of fat? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it very well could be either. Um, it also could be um, something that takes time to heal and maybe I could go mm. back to higher fat in the future. Um, and also, like I said, like people need to experiment. There are folks who do really, really well with that higher fat version and they have no digestive distress and they feel much better. And then there are folks who do, do, can d- digest both versions, but they just feel way better on the higher protein version. Like yeah. William Schufelt and Kevin Stock are, are great examples of that. And so I think people really need to, to test it out for themselves and not go too extreme in one, one direction or the other. But uh, yeah, it's, it's individual, I find. Yeah, totally agree, man. I mean, I've got clients that definitely perform better with a higher fat ratio and some can tolerate a pretty significant intake of protein without any adverse effects at all. So, it, I mean, you really just have to play around with it. And there's kind of a lag effect, too. Like, you have to follow kind of one or the other for a pretty significant period of time to, like, really know if, if your body's responding, you know, good or poorly to it. 
Yeah, yeah, agreed. So what about the um, like the, the training aspect of it? Do you notice that being actually before I dive into that, let's just talk about let's talk about uh, you know being strict carnivore for quite some time. I mean, you've you've pretty much stuck to a carnivore or carnivoresque style of eating now for I mean past two years. You said. Yeah. So it's been almost four years, but I won't say that I've been strict. I've definitely done some carbohydrate experiments, especially lately adding in more foods. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very strict for the first three years. Um, like completely strict, as strict as you can possibly be rarely even having dairy, maybe once a month, if that, um, but more recently I've done more carbohydrate experiments to see how my body reacts to things like fiber, white rice, honey, um, different, different types of carbs, um, both digestively and energy wise. I'm, I'm very curious to, to hear of any findings, man. What, what have you noticed? Yeah. So, um, I've noticed that, you know, initially a lot of foods seem to be fine. Um, I, I tried to be very systematic in being like, okay, I'm going to try just zucchini in a small amount at one meal for three days and see how my body reacts Then remove it. Then try just this form of dairy for three days and like do basically a classical reintroduction mm -hmm. from an elimination style diet. Um, and that works that worked very well. And I learned a lot and I, I essentially learned that, um, I could tolerate some small amounts of fiber. Um, I think you, you were mentioning this on your podcast with Trevor white where, um, and Danny Vega has talked about this. When you first go back from a ketogenic diet, ketogenic style diet to carbs, um, you are likely to have more intense blood glucose spikes and kind of blood sugar roller coasters. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that, for me went away after like two weeks. So for the first two weeks I was getting like big energy ups and downs from even small amounts of fruit or white rice or any carbs and felt like I was kind of back on the carb roller coaster. And then after two or three weeks, it kind of steadied out and my, my ability to handle carbohydrates went back to quote unquote normal. Um, so I don't think you need to, to you said this, but I don't think you need to have carbs in your diet or have carb refeeds mm -hmm. as a ketogenic person or ketogenic athlete to maintain quote unquote metabolic flexibility. I think it's something that, um, like your body can assimilate to very, very quickly. Yeah, totally agree. What, what about, um, like, have you noticed any, any enhanced benefits from a performance standpoint? Like what, what are some positive or negative, anything other than just the, the blood glucose kind of leveling out? Yeah. I mean, I, I won't lie that like definitely the pumps in the gym are better with carbohydrates. I found even when I was using like a ton of salt mm -hmm. in the gym, I was still able to get great pumps, um, lifting on carnivore. Um, but they are better just when you have like high amounts of something like white rice. I found personally for me, um, I won't say my performance has changed dramatically at all one way or the other. Um, I think, you know, being long-term carnivore and eating that much protein and that much meat, my, my bot, the way I think about it is my body was basically able to create all the glucose and carbohydrates it needed. You know, I, I don't think that protein turns into chocolate cake or like having too much protein creates this excess glucose via gl gluconeogenesis that you need to worry about it. Yeah. I just think of protein as like, a really slow, safe, efficient version of carbs where whatever you do, whatever demands you put on your body, your 
if you're eating a carnivore or ketogenic diet, your body will say, okay, looks like we're working a little harder today. We're going to take some of that protein you ate and we're going to turn it into glucose for you. Just enough to meet your specific needs. That's the way I kind of think about the excess protein. And I think having been on carnivore for so long, my body was super efficient at that. So I was able to perform in the gym, you know, highly glycolytic bodybuilding style workouts um, very successfully on a meat-based diet. So I don't think that changed substantially when I added the carbs back. Nice, nice. Any any change with like inflammation or recovery, anything like that versus uh, with, with carbs versus without? Um, not super noticeably, no. Um, I would say, uh, you know, digestion was definitely weird, especially at first. I think when I first started reintroducing some carbs, I would be super gassy. I would be uncomfortable in the gym. Mm -hmm. Like that actually inhibited my performance more than anything else. Um, and that's why I, I went back to carnivore for a while, um, strict carnivore. But uh, yeah, eventually, you know, just like with other things, my body got used to handling a little bit more fiber and I'm able now to tolerate like more fruit um, or fibrous vegetables or things like potatoes without having real issues. Um, so, so yeah, but, but no real signs of inflammation. No, like I, I had, you know, pretty bad back pain before starting carnivore and that got better with carnivore. And then I don't think it really came back when I reintroduced a small amount of carbohydrates. Nice. Nice. What about, uh, like mental clarity and cognition? Any, any changes there? Like, do you notice a dip or a spike or anything like that after consuming carbs? Yeah, I, I definitely say it went down, um, especially in the beginning. Like I said, when I felt like I was on kind of the blood sugar roller coaster, um, I felt the highs and lows. I felt both in terms of like cognitive ability and memory and focus, as well as um, mood. Mm -hmm. It would be like, you know, if it had been three, three hours, four hours since my last meal with carbs in it, like I could feel myself getting like sadder <laughs> almost or longing for the carbs, uh, which was definitely scary. Um, and so that, but that's something that got better over time. Um, like I said, after, after a few weeks, I think your body just gets, um, more efficient at handling the carbs. Totally agree. Totally agree. So what do you think is, is coming, man? Like, I feel like there's this, you know, this evolution, so to speak, of all the different dieting protocols. I mean, like keto probably peaked in 2017. There's still obviously people learning about it and, and benefiting from it. But I feel like, at least according to Google search, I feel like it peaked in 2017, 2018. And then I think carnivore really, really started gaining momentum. I don't know if carnivore peaked or not yet. I haven't really dug into it. I know intermittent fasting has been super hot lately. What do you see coming as far as it, as far as carnivore is concerned? Like, as it relates to that, do you feel like it's it's going to be kind of like this cult following almost, or do you feel like it's going to be yeah. more mainstream? Yeah, in some ways, I think it's cult and niche for sure. Um, I also think it's, you know, there are people like Sean doing really great work to try to, again, democratize and, and spread the diet in a healthy and successful way. And, and Mark Bell has done a lot for that. Um, I think the, the clinical trial he's trying to run and some of the other research he's trying to do and work he's doing with the MeetRx platform is really great for that. Mm -hmm. um, I'll say two, th two things about like diet trends in general. One, I think especially with like COVID and how metabolically sick people are and like how a lot of people have just like sheltered in their homes and eaten a ton of processed food and like stocked up on chips and candy and ice cream. Um, anyone who's like 
trying a diet or examining how they eat, I applaud that. Like, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. That's great. You're probably in the 1% if you even think about your diet. Two is um, I'm a little bit scared of the next trend because if it's not keto and it's not carnivore, I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm worried it'll be something crazy like some like baby food diet or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I honestly have no idea. It's, it is crazy, man. Like when you look at what all is going on with regard to the COVID, you know, scared, it's like, like there's, there's so much that points to just being healthy. Like you have a good immune system and you, you just, not that you don't have to worry, you don't want to be like foolish or anything, but like your likelihood of having like some seriously adverse response to bacteria and viruses that are all around us is just significantly diminished. Uh, and it's like, that just makes intuitive common sense to me. So I've just been blown away by people paying no mind to that. Not, I mean, like it, it sucks because there's not yeah. the access to the gym because all the gyms Sad. have been closed down. Uh, so people are just totally running with this, you know, heavily processed food because it's cheaper. They can store it. It's shelf stable. And they'll just get like Twinkies, cereal, and ice cream and just stock up on that and hole up in their home and wait for everything to clear. But it's like that is the worst thing you could possibly do. I feel like in time like this, we just need to double down on being healthy. So it's been a sad reality to see the exact opposite happen. I feel like I feel like Mike Mutzel's done a really good job at illustrating that. I feel like it's probably controversial with some of the posts he's made. A lot of people don't like him for it, but it is pretty yeah. crazy what, what, what is going on right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think he and Paul Saladino are doing a lot to kind of like stir the pot yeah. um, and, and Mark Bell too. But uh, yeah, it's really sad to see that there hasn't been more of a focus on like lifestyle and trying to improve your own health. Totally agree, man. What What's your take on the, I, I don't want to, you know, basically diminishing thing we've said about just focusing on that 80-20, but with regard to some of the the next level phase two, you know, versions of carnivore, when it comes to grass-fed beef, when it comes to where you're sourcing your beef, what what's your take on all that? Like how high of a priority do you put on that? Yeah, I'd say relatively low. Um, I mean, I try to buy a large portion of my food from uh, a local meat share called Walden Local Meat. They basically like aggregate and distribute on the behalf of a few dozen local farmers and ranchers Mm -hmm. in New England, which is really cool. Um, And I think their butcher shop just won best butcher shop in Boston, which is awesome. Uh, But yeah, that's all grass finished, grass fed, grass finished, pasture raised um, meat. And they have, you know, pasture raised chickens and um, pasture raised eggs and and all that good stuff. Um, So I think Mark Bell sums it up really well when he says better is better. Um, and if you can, if you can eat better and you want to support your local farmers, you want to support, um, regenerative agriculture. I think there are a lot of reasons to do that. I think nutritionally and in terms of results, I haven't seen convincing evidence that it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to prevent someone from doing the diet due to economic reasons or taste or access, I'd say, forget it. Don't worry about it. Um, it's really on the margins and, you know, same with things like getting the right organs and making sure you have all the right supplements and, uh, you know, making sure you're eating your eggshells for calcium, stuff like that. It's, it's really, um, niche and on the margins. I'd say like do the version of carnivore that works for you. Um, I had this talk, um, for virtual KetoCon this year, which was carnivore 101 to 401. 
um, what I've learned. And I gave, I basically said like those types of questions, like how many meals should I have a day even, or grass fed, grass finished, electrolytes, organs, um, fat to protein ratios. Those are all like the 201, 301 stuff. Um, but when you get to the level of like 401, that's when you realize that a lot of that stuff can be solved through um, self-experimentation and trying things out for yourself and seeing that like everyone's version of carnivore is a little bit different and different for their context. Like if you think about Sean Baker, he's like what, six foot three, probably 250 plus pound performance athlete doing highly glycolytic work, otherwise healthy, no autoimmune conditions, low body fat. He's able to eat three to four pounds of ribeye a day and perform mm -hmm. super well. Um, whereas, you know, there's someone like the strong sisters who need to have like a much lower um, amount of protein and feel best when they optimize their organ meats. And recently they've needed to reintroduce carbs to help with amenorrhea and, and their kind of healing journey. Um, and, you know, there's people all in between and, and different flavors and types of carnivore. There's people like Michaela Peterson who, you know, for a while she couldn't eat any organs. She couldn't eat eggs. She couldn't even go to a restaurant where they might have put spices on her steak or pepper. Um, and, and everyone's just coming from kind of a different context and different goals. So uh, you really have to try some of those things out for yourself. Totally agree, man. I feel like the beauty of, of carnivore is that it can be incredibly simple and just basically like stripped bare of all the the fluff and it can just be the essential and people can take a lot of the guesswork out of it and then benefit yeah. in that 101 level with just the basics i mean I, I went and picked up a bunch of ribeyes today from a local butcher here and i don't know if they're grass-fed or finished or, or whatnot but they taste really good and it's local so i feel good about supporting them but yeah. the two women that were working there it's like a, a mom and, and daughter that run the place you know they they are wanting to lose weight. They have a little bit of weight to lose. And they were asking Crystal and I about health because we, we look fit. We buy a bunch of ribeyes and they're like, how is this possible? You're eating all this fatty food and you're <laughs> healthy. And like, they just didn't get it. So I started talking about keto and I'm like, y'all are literally in the perfect scenario here. You, you run your own butcher shop, like just eat what you make and <laughs> don't yeah, ask questions, you know, just the do dream. that. Um, but they've got like Twinkies and everything on the counter to sell. So it's like, it's just not the right end of the spectrum. Um, but I feel like, you know, if people are just simply wanting to get healthy and minimize all the, the nonsense and minutia that is in the health and fitness industry, then just simply eating the best quality meat that they can personally afford and not be limiting to them and, you know, focusing on the ratios and all that stuff later, I feel like that's going to be the best thing anybody can do to start. Yeah, that's a great message. So what do you have coming up in the pipeline for you personally, man? You, you got a super successful carnivore podcast you've got you spoke virtual keto con like what are you excited about what do you get in the pipeline yeah thanks um and i you know won't claim to be super successful or if it's successful by any measure then it's all because of the guests um you know i've, I've had fantastic people like you willing to to give me your time and come on so that's that's been really great um yeah the podcast is is doing well we hit um, hundred episodes, about 10 episodes ago, which I was super happy with and over a million downloads and, um, you know, coming up on, on two years. So I, I just feel, I feel proud of the consistency. I think you can relate to this. Like mm -hmm. I didn't set a goal for myself of, I want to reach this many viewers or like, I want to make money from this or anything like that. I just said, I want to put out an episode every week and I want to be consistent and I want, 
um, to put out content that hopefully helps people and people can connect with. Totally. I feel like I've fulfilled that, and that goal to me is more meaningful than um, any of the like metrics. Hundred percent. So that's been awesome. Um, I've I've tried to expand a bit. You know, I've I have a very nice gentleman in the UK who I I was too too stupid to figure out how YouTube works. He set up a YouTube channel for me and he puts all my um, episodes on YouTube just with a plain picture because apparently a lot of people listen to podcasts only on YouTube. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I've, I've just tried to expand the, the guests. I've tried to interview more ranchers and farmers um, and trainers and people, you know, on the margins of, of the keto or carnivore space um, who, who may have, really important, interesting things to say, but my listeners may be less likely to have heard of. And I'm also, you know, trying to support and help people who have been on the podcast multiple times, like Sean Baker. Um, so just just trying to be consistent with it, um, really enjoying the journey, the chance to connect with people like yourself, um, especially during times like COVID. Um, it's great to, to have, have these conversations. And then connecting with the audience is always awesome. You know, getting questions from people. I love responding to... DMs on Instagram or, or emails uh, really makes my day. Um, so so just continuing that journey. I don't have any grand plans to you know launch any products or courses or things like that. This is a side hustle for me that I do in three to five hours a week. I have I have a main job and you know a wife and a and a puppy now, which I love. Okay, um, but uh, she's a labradoodle. She's a six labrador. months old. Um, so she just had her her big surgery yesterday. Um, so she's been a lot of work and a lot of fun, but yeah, just trying to continue to put out good information, good content. I love it, man. I feel like, I feel like podcasting is just this weird, but awesome thing all wrapped up into one. Like I started my podcast. I don't even know when first several episodes were super sporadic. Didn't have any form of consistency. Whereas now I've got the Monday and Friday releases and it's, it's just, it's awesome because it's pretty easy to get into once you actually just roll your sleeves up and get into it. And then yeah. very few people say no to coming on a podcast. So you can basically just reach out to anybody, shoot them a DM, ask if they want to get on. They say yes. And then before you know it, you're having this great conversation with someone that you can learn something from and, and just, you know, people listening can be a fly on the wall, so to speak, and just taking this information and learn as well. And it's just the, it's just a very interesting dynamic, man. I love it. Yeah, me too. And I've learned a ton from your podcast, Robert. You always have great guests on and some of just like your your um, even like more solo episodes or when you go on your own kind of monologues, that's where I learned the most. Um, so I really appreciate all the content you put out and your consistency with it. I appreciate it, man. I, I, uh, I don't really pay attention to the metrics or anything, so I don't even know how my podcast is doing in the grand scheme of things, but I haven't really done many monologues so i appreciate you saying that i may have to i may have to do some more of those if they find if you find value in them yeah you should i i mean i i follow your youtube channel too so sometimes i get confused but like especially your whole series um like your post mortem on the competition prep mm -hmm. and yeah. like thinking about all the things you learned and the ways you grew uh, mentally coming out of that prep was like super super awesome to watch and I, I thought you did a fantastic job with it and really like gave people a peek behind the curtain with like the party that the keto brick crew threw for you after and your speech yeah. and all that it was it was really awesome i appreciate that man that, that truly does mean a lot the the cool thing about creating content whether it's podcast youtube social media whatever is it gives you the opportunity to just peel the curtain back on 
who you are, what you stand for, and your ethos. And I feel like I've always tried to do that with our business, with the Keto Brick, Keto Savage, and everything in between. So having the opportunity to do that and then people see it and then rally behind your cause that much more because they know it's real, it's just it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You should be. I've got a random question for you since we're on the topic of podcasts. Um, most people nowadays, especially with COVID, they've gone the route of using Zoom or some other type of you know, software to, to interact and have a communication. Do you feel like in-person podcasts, like what Rogan's got going on, is, is, is necessary? Like, do you feel like anything gets lost in the Zoom conversation? Like, I'm just curious, podcaster to podcaster, what your take is on that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I haven't thought a lot about that. Um, I think when you do in-person ones, I always get more excited because um, I feel like there's going to be like a story around it. Like you and Danny Vega went on like a hunting trip together and now you're recording a podcast or like I know it's going to be someone that you've like helped with a competition prep. And so those those are always awesome episodes because they can talk about how you coach them and how you trouble shot together and like the things you both taught each other. Um, so I always feel like if it's in person, there's a reason it's in person and it's usually, um, that's a signal to me that that's an episode I'm going to want to listen to more, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Totally. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, a lot of people, like I said, I've, discovered I don't do this but they they listen to podcasts on YouTube exclusively mm-hmm. so I feel like the video form you, you kind of have to have in person for that like watching two people have a zoom meeting together on YouTube feels kind of silly yeah. um, but if, if you're sitting down together talking to each other um, I think that can be really meaningful 100% man well we're what do you to- think no, I, I totally agree. I feel like it's um, – I'm a very old-school type of person. Like I, I was just raised very old-school. Like I put a lot of emphasis on you know having a handshake and like actually seeing people face-to-face. And we do the best we can with what we've got. And like it doesn't make sense to, to just to, – to not podcast if you can't do it in person because then so much information would be lost and so much opportunity would be non-existent. So I feel like doing Zoom and, and doing what we're doing now makes a whole lot of sense. Um but one thing I'm super excited about is I, I made a post today. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we just got this building up in Northwest Arkansas, and it's basically going to be revamped into a compound 2.0, so to speak. And that's awesome. Right now, my podcast studio is like this little tiny, you know, closet of a studio, and I can't have people in here. It's just too small. It's just cumbersome. But one thing I'm going to build out in this new building is like a legit. Uh, podcast studio where like we've got it all set up for video and I'm just going to fly people out there. I'm going to try and fly all my guests out there and then like have an experience around it, like train together, go hunt, go sailing, go shoot the bow, whatever that may be. And then come back, bring it back for an in-person podcast. It's all videoed and, and audio. I think that is going to be just a huge value add. That's what I hope anyways. That is so cool. I will like personally save up and have all my vacation money and days to come do that with you, Robert. I would love to do that. <laughs> well, 100%, man. As soon as that building's done <laughs> and that's the reality, I will absolutely have you back on for round three or whatever that will be at the time, and we'll do it all in person, man. That'd be super cool. So are you? So I just saw the, um, what do you call it, the, the YouTube um, clip, the, the like title and uh-huh. picture. Um, but are you and Crystal moving as well? Are you going to like move the whole gym and your setup too? Or yeah, everything, just the factor? Everything, man. So like right wow. now we are, uh, I'm probably going to pick a whole separate podcast when Crystal and I monologuing all this. So 
uh, you're, you're getting the sneak behind the, the curtain here. Yeah. Uh, but right now we're leasing three buildings, and we're in central Arkansas. It's going to be about a year of renovations on this big building, but this big building is twice as big as the three buildings that we're in now are combined. So it's just a massive upgrade in space, and we're basically going to move the gym, the Ketobrook factory, everything. It's three hours away, so it's I mean, it would have to be a full-blown move, but the, the whole Ketobrook crew is coming up with us, and we're just basically building everything out to spec how we want it from the ground up. It's going to be amazing. That's awesome. I'm super excited to watch that journey and uh, really happy for you. Appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm happy to like be able to offer an experience more so than anything. Like I love just talking to people, but I, I feel like when I, when I took Danny hunting that one time as an example and I saw him, like I coached him how to shoot a rifle and then I saw the entire thing play out and unfold from the moment he saw the deer or I showed him the deer <laughs> to the moment he pulled the trigger and walked up on it and then like skinned it and we cooked it. I mean like, the experience just adds everything and i want to be able to create a place that incentivizes people to come and experience something they've never experienced before whether that's from a training standpoint or whatever activities we wind up doing but i feel like offering that and then having the opportunity to talk about it is going to be just badass quite frankly yeah that's so cool i i I uh, ate all that content up, and similarly with your stuff with uh, William Schufelt when he came out, it just seemed like the coolest time. I was like, oh my God, this is a dream of mine. <laughs> well, shoot, man. It's going to be a dream come true. Before you know it, I'll be calling you up, and we'll make it happen. We'll Let's schedule it out. do it. That's, that's awesome. Well, until then, man, where can people go to, to find, about, find out about you, listen to your podcast, and, and just dive in? Yeah, absolutely. So carnivorecast.com or search carnivorecast on your favorite podcast player, um, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. Um, I'm always happy to help out and, and love hearing from people. Awesome. I will link out to that for sure. Scott, always a pleasure, man. If there's ever anything I can do for you, just let me know, brother. Great. Thank you so much, Robert. Take care, man.